What's up, QAA listeners? The fun games have begun. I found a way to connect to the internet. I'm sorry, boy. Welcome, listeners, to the 260th chapter of the QAA podcast, the Leave the Obamas Behind episode. As always, we are your hosts, Jake Rokotansky, Liv Agar, Julian Fields, and Travis View. Uh, Michelle, could you just uh, come into this uh, room real quick? Oh, yeah, and grab um, grab that 17 that I've got uh, left in the safe. Yeah, make sure it's loaded too, Michelle. Oh, hey, okay, could you put this in my mouth? Yeah, put it in my mouth. Okay, now pull the trigger. my brains all over the room wall. Thank you so much, Michelle. I deserve it for what I've done to entertainment. Thank you for listening to another episode of the QAA podcast. Uh, you can subscribe for five bucks a month to hear more of uh, Julian's cancelable uh, Obama impression. I, I just want to be clear yeah. that this is a an actionable threat from a foreign national. <laughs> Uh, thanks for listening to the QAA podcast. Uh, we will be shuttering our doors uh, due to our producer uh, being deported and summarily executed. No, no, Michelle, Michelle, you have to. No, the safety, it's there. There. Yeah. Hear it click, then you know it's loaded. It's not a conspiracy. As always, we are your hosts, Jake Rokotansky, Liv Agar, Julian Fields, and Travis View. On May 12th of this year, a new pre-apocalyptic film from Sam Esmail, the creator of the popular television series Mr. Robot, premiered at the American Film Institute Festival. It released to generally favorable reviews, with Tim Grierson of Screen Daily writing, Leave the World Behind does not feature the level of spectacle of a bigger-budgeted apocalyptic thriller, but when the film unveils its stunning revelations about what is actually happening in the world outside the house, it's grippingly executed. You mean like the world outside your fucking house, Tim? What are you fucking, have you seen movies before? Are you comparing this to YouTube videos? I wholeheartedly disagree with this statement. Uh, I, I do think the movie has a pretty big, bu- you know, pretty big budget effect. I mean, you do see a plane fall out of the sky. You see thousands of flyers uh, being dropped uh, from a drone. You see Teslas uh, crashing uh, into one another in, uh, you know, essentially a first person view. Uh, yeah, and it all looks like shit. CGI flamingo. It all looks like shit. Yeah, yeah you see th- CGI flamingos. You see thousands of CGI deer. I don't know. I-, I would say that the effects are big budget. That's not to say they're good. Most big budget effects suck nowadays. Uh, so, Michelle, Michelle, uh, could, did you make sure to slip that envelope to, uh, what was his name? Tim, Tim Grierson? Also, the things happening are shit. It's not interesting Awful. at all. It's a terrible premise no. for a movie. Surprisingly, there is so little tension, and yet, like, a giant boat hits a beach. A plane almost lands on a person. A series of Teslas, like, come rushing at the protagonist. Guns are involved multiple times, and yet there is no moment for me where I felt actual tension. I just wanted every scene to be over. I'm like, I don't care. I don't care. I felt so fucking annoyed. Yes. Uh, Yes. The the, the writers break the cardinal sin of uh, Chekhov's gun, which is if you show a gun, you know, in, in the beginning of your story, it has to pay off in some way. Yeah. They did not do this. But also if they broke the cardinal sin that would that's that you I think you screwed that up. The the who cares? Um <laughs> who cares? I'm nothing. I've watched this movie twice now. Yeah. Uh, once for enjoyment 
quote unquote, and then wants to make the clips. And <sighs> I'm gonna t- I'm gonna tell you something. In some of these shots, they broke the cardinal directions. <laughs> i know i know it's like dude make your story disorienting don't you can't just you can't just cheat us with disorienting camera angles that are swirling upside down and putting me on a -a tilt-a-whirl you're supposed to do that with the story you know with the story and the writing not not just the the camera stuff but that's like a minor that's a minor right no it's not no it's fucking not this fucking thing it was like a tech demo for some annoying new camera and it was directed by ai it's incredibly just unpleasant cinematography in every way. And it's so self-satisfied. It really feels like a tech guy like being like, look what we can do with this um, new camera. I know as I was as I was messaging to to live in the in the group chat, uh, this movie feels like the ultimate post. You know, it's it's yeah. one it's one big post. It's one big two hour and twenty minute post. And the stunning revelation that the critic is talking about uh, is that unknown foreign nations are psyoping Americans into civil war. It's okay. so funny. America is such a little victim pussy-ass empire. Imagine if fucking Byzantium was complaining all the time about how, like, people hated them for their freedom and, like, that they were being, you know, turned inside out by, like, an enemy within. I mean, it's, it's fucking sad. You can't even enjoy the empire. You're just so fucking nervous and anxious all the time. Also, like, this isn't an apocalypse movie. This is just, like, a movie about what happened to Libya under the Obama administration. Yeah! <laughs> this is literally, they're, they're describing what they do to foreign nations all the time. They're like, can you imagine how bad that would be if it happened to us? Wow, that would suck, huh? If we if we got our just desserts, wouldn't that suck? Don't we all not want that? Yeah, I think this is probably going to be the first time in QAA movie night history. Well, one, I mean, it's the first time I believe that we've done a movie night on Maine. Usually, usually the so, movie yeah. nights are, you know, premium episodes. Yeah, this one is definitely worth the main, it's though. Worth because... it. It's worth the main. A lot of people have been talking about it. A lot of people have been asking about it in the DMs. Are we going to cover this movie? Yes, of course we are. And I, I also think we are, this is going to be a QAA first of me and Julian uh, actually agreeing on our sort of our like or dislike of a film. So I hope everybody's excited for that. Me and Julian, we're Working together in agreeance, friends, supportive of one another. You know, it's going to be fun. Hello, uh, Bill. Uh, we've got a problem. The uh, <laughs> the Gentile and the Jew are agreeing. We we have a problem. We're going to have to tactically take them both out. <laughs> So the film boasts an impressive cast. It stars Julia Roberts and Ethan Hawke as the yuppie Long Island couple who rent an upscale Airbnb for a weekend getaway with their teenage kids, played by Farrah McKenzie and Charlie Evans. Marshala Ali and Mahala play the father and daughter duo who own the vacation rental. And it even has a cameo from Kevin Bacon playing the guess you should have listened to him MAGA conspiracy theorist that seems to be part of every movie and TV show nowadays. This, this character is now etched into our entertainment consciousness. Do you think that like liberals just secretly worry that those people are right? They, that, that's what keeps them up at night. To, like, that's the point of the movie, kind of. We'll get yeah. into that. Yeah, it is interesting. Of 
all the characters in this movie, that's like the guy you like want to be, which I thought was interesting. You wouldn't want to be like the upper class elite who owns multiple homes because he's he's kind of nervous. He has no what the hell's you want to be the upper middle class professor guy. But the paranoid MAGA guy, that's the guy who has his shit together in this movie. Oh, and by the way, I know Ethan Hawke is supposed to be playing an annoying, nervous guy, but he's also probably his poorest role I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. His, the acting is outrageously bad. Julia Roberts is unbearable in every scene. I feel like most other people kind of pull their weight just fine, but that duo at the core is just genuinely unbelievably bad starting from right at the beginning where he is in the apartment he lives in with his wife and children and he says her name like question mark like from his bed it's like you don't that's not whatever whatever i'm just saying ethan hawk was also he's looking bad sorry ethan i really like ethan hawk so yeah it was it was not awesome to see him stumble uh like this you know but a lot of that has to do with the direction a lot of that has to do with the writing it can't be squarely placed on mr ethan's shoulders no but you know what i could do i could squarely place like an 8x scope on (laughs) on a certain ex-president's head and then i could parody no no. No, parody no very not very much not parody in literal life i would get the 8x scope (laughs) it wouldn't be attached to anything surprise twist Ah, you would just see be that looking, one coming. You would just be looking through it and thinking, imagine. Just kidding, it's attached to a and I pulled the trigger, and now the is going through his and it's blowing up. <laughs> okay, but these are not the only celebrities involved in the production. Former President and First Lady Barack and Michelle Obama are credited as executive producers on the film. And you know what? I actually do believe that because this movie is soundtracked by Obama's summer playlist. <laughs> He, multiple times, just playing a track over a fucking scene. He's like, you know, uh, I like the movie, uh, Rami, uh, but uh, if you could just put in another one of my um, great jams, one of those groovy numbers that I put on my summer playlist, just through a whole scene. Uh, Let me uh, be clear, uh, I do like the track from Joey Badass with two dollar signs in his name. And as you can imagine, you know, this has sent the world of conspiracy theorists and bakers into an absolute frenzy, something I'm sure no one could have predicted. But I have to admit, an uneasy feeling came over me as I saw their names in large block letters as the opening credits rolled over an aggressive hip-hop beat. A sacred line between politicians and scripted features had been crossed in my head. Being president doesn't qualify you to make an end-of-the-world flick, one of my fave genres, by the way. In fact, it's the last type of person I want telling me what the apocalypse might look like. Let's get into it. Leave the World Behind is a two-hour and 20-minute feature film based on the novel penned by Ruman Alam of the same name. Fuck you. They should literally, it should be one of those things where filmmakers, you either get your movie to an hour and 45, or we stop. We it, they cut it like Netflix cuts it. The movie theater cuts it. Sorry, no one gets to see the end. Then fuck yeah, it. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it is crazy. They don't make short, tight movies anymore. I very recently watched uh, Ernest Saves Christmas. That's an hour <laughs> thirty-five. Fuck yeah, perfect time fuck for yes. Ernest Saves Christmas to clear our palate after watching this film. My wife and I watched Taken 1 and Taken 2. And what? I made a a point of in the Netflix sort of, you know, launch screen, I was like, look at this. Look at this, babe. Taken 1, hour and 30 minutes. And then I Whoa, switched over yeah. to Taken 2 and I was like, look at this. Taken 2, hour and 31 
minutes. This this is a filmmaker who respects our Luke Basson. He respects my time as a film watcher, and I don't understand if everybody had to uh, you know follow this standard of an hour and forty five, they could turn these Marvel movies into like three movies and re- and release wait them you know wait three years in a row or whatever. Can, or release wait, wait, wait. It three over the course of the year, you could make more money on it. Are you telling me that Taken was directed by Luke Besson? It was written by Luke Besson. Both. Really? Both written by Luc Besson. The first He does taken, not, by the way, oh, respect your time. Don't say that about Luc Besson, but I don't care. Fine. The first, oh my God, as I'm watching the first take and I'm like, this is so much better than Sound of Freedom. Like, the, the, oh God, in, in just about every single way. Okay, that's another episode for another time. Yeah, this movie should have been called Taken because it took my fucking time. <laughs> and it took my feeling good. I watched it on my birthday. I ended my birthday watching this. You <laughs> fucked my birthday up, Obama. Are you fucking happy? Okay, so, so, okay, apparently I went to the gun range. I had the best day of my life. All right, yep. And you fucked it up. Julian on his birthday was practicing for his uh, his Ethan Hawke. Um, I turned thirty this year, <laughs> and because of you, it turned it, it turns out I turned forty instead. <laughs> Fuck you. Yes, by the time this movie is over, it, it like the watching the movie is actually a, like an M Night plot in and of itself. That by the time it ends, you're actually ten years older, and the whole world yes. has lost ten years of their time. Yes, they don't the know where it went. The movie that makes you old. <laughs> it makes <Yeah>. you old. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we'll get into this, but this this was such, I thought, like a wannabe M. Night movie with none of the charm. You know, M. Night, look, look, he, he doesn't always nail it, okay? But there is imagination in his movies, and even if he doesn't nail the landing or he stumbles or it doesn't really work, there's always something that's, like, interesting about it. And as Liv was mentioning, you know, watching this movie, there was nothing interesting about about it it was we can get through this without sucking off m night Shyamalan. like let's no, not exaggerate we here can't <laughs> yes we can <laughs> thought maybe there'd be a movie night episode for jake and julian agreed <laughs> but it can't happen <laughs> well this man is he's trying to suck off late luke bisson he's trying to suck off m night Shyamalan. like come on man these are my heroes Apparently, there were 10 studios bidding for the rights of this book before it had even released. So here's a book that's like about, you know, a pre-apocalyptic, a pre-Civil War, and every major studio is like, we need this movie. I'm just glad that fucking Ben Shapiro's fiction is finally getting its due. Everybody's, <laughs> all the conspiracists' fiction is, is getting its due, and we're, we're going to get to that. So, yeah, so there are 10 studios bidding on this. Netflix won the deal, paying in the seven-figure range, according to Deadline Hollywood. Now, initially, Denzel Washington was set to produce and star alongside Julia Roberts, but he dropped out for unknown reasons, and Marshala Ali took his place. Uh, hello? Yeah. Let me just, uh, <laughs> just wanted to say that, uh, I heard you lost the rights, and, uh, who's got game now? Being a huge Denzel fan myself, and having probably read too many articles about his career, I have a potential explanation for why Washington parted ways with the film. In probably one of the most awkward scenes in the entire movie, uh, which we will discuss, uh, Julia Roberts, uh, in the script I've written, Julian Roberts, hilarious, <laughs> uh, That's puts me. on a hip-hop record that she and Marshala oh. Ali flirtingly dance to. Oh, and, and, that scene. And Denzel himself has commented on his lack of interest in sharing intimate moments with white women on screen. Uh, the oh, decision okay. stems from an incident that took place during a screening of the film The Mighty Quinn, and during a scene in which Denzel and co-star Mimi Roberts 
Rogers kissed on screen black women and the test audience booed. <laughs> what? Denzel was so concerned that That's he was awesome. alienating his fans and he was also hoping to change how black women were represented in film, stating, quote, Black women are not often seen as objects of desire in film. They have always been my core audience. Okay, so this is awesome because it means that we, our culture has gone from the Black Panthers existing to Denzel being like, I, I won't kiss white women. That's what we have now. Cool. I see respect. <laughs> Funnily enough, the most public example of this is with Julia Roberts. Uh, the two starred together in 1993's The Pelican Brief, and Roberts commented publicly that co-star Denzel had asked that the intimate scenes between the two characters be cut out of the film. Like I said, I read way too many Denzel Washington articles. This is a good bake. I think I believe this. You've convinced me. Well, there was one listener, one listener who wrote to me and was like, and was like, what the, can you find out why Denzel Washington exited the film? I texted my agent buddy and I was like, hey man, it, who who works at the agency that the film is repped at? And I said, hey man, do you know why Denzel dropped out? And he just went, no clue. So <laughs> I was left on my own to figure this hey, out. That's my bake. Uh, it could be right. Me. It could be wrong. Hey, it's me, Julian Roberts. I wanted to kiss Denzel. <laughs> the film was allegedly made for around $70 million, although there is no official data to confirm that number. The film studio Netflix often keeps its numbers shrouded in mystery. Yeah, that came mm. up during the strike. Everything about this film feels like a targeted Instagram ad with swirling, disorienting cinematography that reminds the viewer how disorienting the end of the world could slash will be. The latter is certainly the choice of the filmmaker, but the former seems to have very much been a part of the original novel. Here's an example where the author is describing the groceries that Julia Roberts' character, uh, an advertising executive from Long Island, has purchased for their Airbnb stay. I will now perform this for you. This is also my, my audition to be an audiobook reader uh, on Audible. So if there are any Audible executives out there, um, <laughs> please, please consider me. No. She bought packages of cookies from Pepperidge Farm and three pints of Ben & Jerry's Politically Virtuous Ice Cream and a Duncan Hines boxed mix for a yellow cake and a Duncan Hines tub of chocolate frosting with a red plastic lid. Because parenthood had taught her that on a vacation's inevitable rainy day, you could while away an hour by baking a boxed cake. She bought two tumescent zucchini, a bag of snap peas, a bouquet of curling kale so green it was almost black. She bought a bottle of olive oil and a box of Entenmann's crumb-topped donuts, a bunch of bananas, and a bag of white nectarines, and two plastic packages of strawberries, a dozen eggs, a plastic box of pre-washed spinach, a plastic container of olives, some heirloom tomatoes wrapped in crinkling cellophane, oh. marbled green and shocking orange. She bought three pounds of ground beef and two packages of hamburger buns, their bottoms dusty with flour. Shut up! Of, Shut up! Of, <laughs> so bad. Shut the and fuck up! I'm not fucking done. I'm not fucking done. <laughs> fuck! What the fuck? The fucking the packaging was crinkling. <laughs> you you're a terrible writer. And a jar of locally made pickles. She bought four avocados and three limes and a sandy bundle of cilantro. Even though Archie refused to eat cilantro. Who cares? It was more than $200, but never mind. 11 oh studios God. bidding oh for this. You're bidding for this. I'm going to need some help. The man placing every item into brown paper bags was maybe in high school, but maybe not. Just so then don't, don't write about it. Don't, so then don't write about it. <laughs> <laughs> he wore a yellow t-shirt and had brown hair and an overall square affect, like he'd been carved from a block of wood. Oh, fuck's sake. There was some stirring watching his hands at work, but vacations did that, didn't they? 
made you horny. What? Made everything seem possible. A life completely different than the one normally inhabited. She, she's getting Amanda, horny watching his hands put stuff in a bag? She, Who is Amanda, this writer? might be a mother temptress suckling on a post-adolescent's hot tongue huh? in the parking lot of the Stop and Shop. It's sucking, not suckling, but it's still so bad. Excuse me, what is going on? Who is the writer? Who is the writer? Ruman Alam is the name. Say his name. His name again. Sorry. It's Ruman Alam. Julian is frozen. I thought his internet maybe went out, but he's just he's frozen. Is this a woman writing? No, it's not. I don't think so. I think it's a guy. So this guy is imagining that fucking like forty year old ad executives are getting horny from a block shaped guy putting fucking stuff in grocery bags. Oh my god! All right, I'm sorry. We have to get through this. So I know. We have to, yeah, I Julian, can't. you're gonna have yeah. yeah Julian's got to get to therapy after this, and it's gonna be yeah. quite a session. Uh, yeah. given the episode, <laughs> I'm gonna need it. As most of you know, I hate this type of shit more than anyone. It all started when people started captioning their Instagram photos of home-cooked meals as if they appeared on the menu at a bougie restaurant. Crispy kale with fresh snap peas and fingerling potatoes with a homemade grain mustard relish. Jesus fucking Christ. Either list the recipe or just post the fucking picture and say, I'm so proud of myself for making this. I hope the snap peas are fresh. Who's going to be like crispy kale with nearly expired snap peas? (laughs) (laughs) You know what, though? This works. works. It works when your fucking main character is an actual psychopath. In American Psycho, this works. The fact that he's obsessed with every fucking stage of what he buys and puts on his face and stuff like that. And I get it. She's supposed to be annoying. But what it's no, no. I just made myself lightheaded of how mad I got just there. Also, in the film version, Julia Roberts' character, Amanda, picks up Ethan Hawke a pack of ciggies because, quote, she knows he likes to sneak a smoke, and since they're on vacation, he can smoke as much as he wants as long as he keeps it away from the kids. Totally unrealistic. No no uptight ad executive wife is is doing this. I'm sorry. They're not going, hey, babe, I picked you up a pack of your favorite ciggies. You can smoke as much as you want. Come in reeking of ciggies and play with the kids. No fucking way. I'm sorry. I picked up a rectangular shaped, covered with crinkly plastic, red and white package of Marlboro cigarettes, the commercial kind. The film was shot primarily in Long Island and released on Netflix December 8th of this year. The story centers around two families, one white and one black. Julia Roberts is a misanthropic advertising executive who doesn't even bother to disguise her racism. She's married to Ethan Hawke, who I'm a big fan of, uh, who plays a university professor uh, that one critic described as a, quote, weak beta male. Yes, there's like a whole scene where he's like, I'm a worm, I'm pathetic. Oh, we'll get that. Yeah, we'll get that. That's awesome. The couple have two teenage children, a creepy, horny boy named Archie and his younger sister, Rosie, whose primary concern throughout the film is whether or not she's going to know the ending to the television series Friends. So we have a 12-year-old who cares about Friends and who knows what goes on in episodes of The West Wing. Shut the fuck up. The Friends thing makes sense. I know, like, they, they watch it on Netflix. It's on Netflix, or maybe it's not anymore. They're, they're definitely... It was. Group. I looked it up. The West Wing is unexcusable. Okay, fine. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. We can no longer be, quote-unquote, friends, live, but whatever. <laughs> it's fine. One could argue that the, this entire film is technically about one 13-year-old's quest to find out what happens to Ross and Rachel, as her storyline is the only one that gets any closure. Think about that. I Usually, I you know, a movie is about a character's arc. The only arc that happens in this movie is that this girl finally gets to see what happens at the end of Friends. 
yeah, I think it's supposed to be part of this, the disorienting thing, you know, it's like everyone's like, we don't, no one knows what the fuck is going on. And so that includes the audience. And so, cool. uh, and so they only have this one relatively, this is, it seems like a subplot, but it's the only full arc in the entire, yes. entire movie. Yes. The only arc is the, the arc of the fucking shells that I'm going to be launching at the, <laughs> <laughs> you know where. It's supposed to be like a commentary on like iPad babies. Like it's it's yeah. it's like surely it has something to say about that. But like it doesn't really. Like it's like kids kids always on their dang iPad. Like that's yeah. about it. And the importance of physical media like a DVD. <laughs> I thought it was more than that. I think like you as the audience are going, it's like, why are you, it's like the world is literally falling apart and like, you know, you are in, in immediate danger. You're caring about your silly little sitcom. It's like, obviously this is a commentary on, you know, media addicted people who don't care about the more substantial issues that are swirling around them. Oh, you mean, you mean the same type of feeling you might get if a fucking ex-president who for eight years did nothing to correct course would fucking take a 20 million fucking dollar contract with Netflix? Mm. And make us think that, hey, nothing fucking matters. And mm. Travis, I would say, look, that is an astute observation from mm. an intelligent watcher. If the film hadn't told you that already, in the scene where she walks into the the her brother's bedroom and she's like, I'm so upset that I can't finish Friends. And he's like, haven't you, look, look what's going on around yeah. you. Like, the world is ending. Like, maybe you should, like, open your eyes and, like, I don't know, get a new hobby. Maybe find something else to, whatever. It's like, they tell you every, they tell you exactly what you're supposed to get out of this. Ugh, yeah, this is going to be a pretty angry review, which I should preface with the fact that, look, I have never written nor directed a film that premiered anywhere. I am a small, <laughs> petty man who admittedly was so flabbergasted that a former president would attach his name to a movie about an impending civil war that I am totally unable to enjoy the film on its own merits if they do, in fact, exist. They don't, but they don't. I, I'll tell you right now. We, 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 we agree. We really do for once. So Julia Roberts and her family rent this super bougie Airbnb, which is even designed by a bespoke architecture agency out of New York called the Up Studio. They're like articles and shit being like, oh, the company that designed the house. And it's like not even that fucking special. This thing reeks. The house isn't even that crazy cool or weird like the hotel in M. Night's Old or the 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 really cool, I believe it's like a Norwegian hotel uh, that's in Ex Machina. Like it's just a regular like McMansion rich person's ha house. It's just this. This does fit though, because if you've ever seen the Obama's home, it's like the most expensive, most unimaginative and ugly thing. It's awesome. It'd be even cooler if it was like they actually used the Obama's house for this movie. I mean, it'd give people more to bake, more than there already is. But Could it still end with a nuclear bomb then? I don't fucking know. I don't know. Everything is peachy at first, with Ethan Hawke begging for sex and Julia Roberts allowing him 15 minutes to nut. <laughs> The trip, the trip takes a turn for the worst as the house's internet becomes spotty. Don't no. worry, gang. There is plenty of dialogue about Wi-Fi's, routers, modems, and resetting. Yeah, and it doubles as great character uh, work where uh, she's like, do you think we need to reset the router? And he's like, I don't know. You're the tech whiz. And he's like, you still want it? You, you still down with Burger Snipes? She's like, yeah, I'm down. Oh God, uh, the, there's one part. There's one part where Julia Roberts drinks so much wine that she's like, oh, I can't even have another glass. I'm so donezo. I was like, God, 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 this is fuck. Yeah, ah, ah, In, infuriating writing. Inf infiltrating. Infuriating, genuinely. 
The real inciting incident occurs when an oil tanker drives straight up onto the beach where the family is relaxing. It's a pretty cool scene and preys on a unique kind of phobia that I didn't know existed called megalophobia, which is the fear of large objects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A police officer explains that it, quote, has something to do with the nav system, indicating that the internet troubles are more widespread than the Airbnb. On their way home, while the kids watch the event they just witnessed live on a YouTube video, Julia Roberts, like a moth to a flame, spots a Starbucks. Without saying anything, Ethan Hawke instinctively begins to pull the car over. And you'll get a little bit of the internet, the little internet talk here in this clip, too. I included it just so you can see. There's a Starbucks. Hmm. I wanted to read up on what happened at the beach, but the Wi-Fi isn't working. I think the router needs a reset. Oh, sorry, I can't help you there. You are the tech whiz, not I. You know, the TV's out, too. I tried to check the game, but there's no signal. You still gonna be down for burgers tonight? Yeah, I could be down for that. (sighs) Meanwhile, the kids seem to have completely gotten over it like it was something they saw on a show. We're on to the next episode. Like it was something they saw on a show. On a show. On to the next episode. Thank you. Thank you for explaining your metaphors. Like, just have the characters say them. That's cool. Because I didn't really know. The best (sighs) is that they they pan over and the the brother's just dunking the sister. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I like that. They're like, yeah, normal stuff. That night, as the couple is playing Jenga and drinking large glasses of wine, there's a knock at the door. It's G.H. and Ruth, the owners of the Airbnb. They explain that there's been a severe blackout in New York, and they didn't feel comfortable staying in the city. Julia Roberts is immediately distrustful, not believing that a black couple could own such a mansion like this, and basically all but says this. She immediately wants to call the rental company to check their terms and conditions. We thought maybe if you let us stay... Because, again, you know, it is, like, our house. What she's trying to say is... We wanted to be somewhere safe. Well, it, you know, we're, we're on vacation. Clay, Amanda, we could absolutely refund you your money. You want us to leave? It, it's the middle of the night. My, my children are sleeping upstairs. You come in here and talk about refunding our money. I, I, I think I need to call the that's, company. That's, I don't even think you can do this. Um, there's got to be a number on their website. That, that, that's oh. really not necessary. <clears throat> Why not? Because we're not saying you should leave. We could refund you, say, 50% of what you paid. You know, there's an in-law suite. We could stay downstairs. Downstairs. 50%. I think we need to look at the terms and conditions here. Uh, all right, we need to find the, the Wi-Fi router. It needs I'll, to be I'll reset. try tethering it to myself. All right, well, the phones aren't working, Clay. How is that supposed to make a difference? I think the internet is down anyway, so... Okay, look, I'm, I'm sorry. I just, uh, I don't feel comfortable staying in a house with people I don't know. The, it, 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 for some reason, it pissed me off that Ethan Hawke is wearing a bikini kill shirt that looks freshly yeah. printed from Redbubble. It's just like, come on, guys. Oh, well, I'll tether it to myself. The amount of of uh, the writer letting you know uh, what they know about internet. Look, that's my lane, okay? And <laughs> I do it as satire, all right? This is like completely unironic. Also, it's like she's, it's, it's almost as if she's like about to call them the N-word. She's like, I don't like staying in my house with... People I don't know. Like, god damn. Like, yeah, I'm sure, like, I'm absolutely sure there are, like, Gen X white women who are like this, but it did feel, like, ham-fisted. I don't know. She's just yeah, such an they incredibly a unlikable hard on character. And then later on, we're supposed to, like, like her after yeah, no. not that much happens. Yeah. 
Doesn't yeah, make any there's sense. no, there is no incident that happens between them. You know, just, I mean, I'm giving you a bad pitch here, but if something were to happen, like GH saves her life, right? Some crazy event where she realizes, holy shit, like this guy does have my best interests at heart and like he saved my life. Like I'm going to give him a second chance, but it's just like nothing. There's nothing. I guess maybe that they let them back into the house. Or let us hate her. Let us hate her and ha have her be horribly killed. We all enjoy it. I was waiting for those deer to just murder her. Yeah. And what did the deer ever do? Nothing. Why have the deer in there at all? They didn't do shit. The next day, everyone is troubled by the internet and television not working, especially the couple's young daughter, who says she has severe anxiety over not being able to watch the Friends finale. She claims that Ethan Hawke told her that when they're on vacation, they can have, quote, as much screen time as they want. Totally unrealistic also. When I went on vacation with my parents, the whole point was to get away from the screens. They even said this. We're, do we're out here because we want to get you away from the screens. Enjoy this. Blah, blah, whatever. <laughs> After a couple of phone alerts that suggest that hackers might be behind the blackout, Ethan Hawke decides to drive into town to retrieve a newspaper so that they might have an idea about what's going on in the world. During this, Marshala Ali drives over to the neighbor's place to see if he can use a satellite phone that he knows that they have. While the respective dads are out in the world gathering information, Archie, Ethan Hawke's teenage son, is creepily snapping pictures of Ali's daughter as she lays out by the pool in a bikini. We will later see him jacking off to these pictures. Yeah, was that necessary? No, it wasn't. Movie? It led nowhere. It led nowhere. What's the point? Why make the son like a cre like a creepy guy? And then, okay, I guess his punishment is his teeth falls out, which he doesn't seem to be too concerned about. We'll get to that. <sighs> Ali finds the satellite phone, but he still can't grab a signal. He also discovers a pile of bodies behind the house from a crashed plane. While he's there, another plane crashes into the beach, which is a complete ripoff slash maybe homage, I guess, if you want to say, to uh, Hitchcock's uh, North, uh, is it North by Northwest? With the plane uh, flying behind the, I guess let me look that up so the angry people don't get me. <laughs> <laughs> Jake's life. He's so put upon. Damn. Do you see what you're doing to him, people out there? Yes, North by Northwest, the 1959 Alfred Hitchcock film. Yeah, awesome. Okay. I actually thought that that was a cool shot. I thought for sure that the um, that it was all CGI when the sort of tsunami breaks through the windows of the house uh, that he runs inside to take shelter from the crashing plane. But they actually did that effect practically. Everything so is like CGI, uh, like as far as like the, the boats and the planes and stuff. And it looks like shit. Like this movie looks really bad. They have shot it all in digital. They've put on weird Instagram filters and fake grain. And it, it, it's not yeah. looking good. So, meanwhile, Soy Ethan Hawke gets lost without GPS. His character's name is Clay, by the way, so maybe I'll refer to him as that. He's a totally useless worm. <laughs> he pulls over briefly to try and help a hysterical woman on the side of the road, but realizing she only speaks Spanish, he leaves her in the dust. His punishment? A drone flies over him, dumping thousands of pamphlets with Arabic writing on them. I was like, what? I was like, what? The woman desperately needs his help. She's like things are very bad she's talking about all the the things she's seen in spanish and he just like looks at her kind of blankly after a while and like drives off like abandoning her even though she clearly needs help and i i couldn't help but think oh this is the only like actually cool metaphor in the movie yes. ethan hawk is obama and the woman is america yeah, it's an analogy for race bye -bye. relations 
I think. No, movie. no, it's just like eight. You have eight years to pick the poor woman up and uh, drive her to safety, and you end up just blankly looking at her as you drive off. Because like that woman dies, presumably for sure. Like she's she's saying something about how like her family's in the city and a plane is crashing. I think. And and he just, you know. I thought for sure that this was going to be kind of another thing to bake. That, oh, oh, if, if you translate the Spanish or people who are Spanish speakers will get a little bit of extra sort of lore here, right? But all she's saying is, I'm lost. I don't know where I am. I've been yeah. wandering around forever. And there was a plane dumping gas, dumping red gas. And, and she's just talking about things that we've already seen. As yeah. opposed to using this moment to add to the... The story. Look, I, I don't. It foreshadows the plane crash because it's right before that, and she mentions oh, okay. she sees it falling out of the sky. I think. And I think it's just another uh, kind of like real kind of like ham-handed commentaries, like you know these like you know these bleeding heart um, libs when uh, when confronted with someone who is actually in distress will just drive off and abandon them as soon as they get a little bit flustered and confused. Well, I have to give it to them. That's a correct assessment of yeah, liberals. that one's fun. Mm-hmm. That's that's accurate. I feel like the the analogy for race relations is like the daughter of Marshall doesn't want to let the white family be able to like stay in their house, and and he's like, no, they should. We should let them in, even though like they're racist to us. Like we should, yeah. you know. And then eventually, I guess spoilers, they all kind of come together, and they they you know yeah. the white lady isn't racist anymore. I guess specifically to them, she's like, well, Dad, can we at least get them to do a land acknowledgement? <laughs> And and the point is that like you should be nice to the white people even though they're bad. Yes, I guess the I guess the teenage boy uh, will end up regrowing his teeth. I guess he gets the right <laughs> medicine to regrow the teeth later on. So yeah, yeah, you know. yeah. that's how it works. <laughs> and then everyone gets attacked by a direct energy weapon. Perhaps even voice-to-skull technology, nobody knows. Ali hints to Roberts that he had a sense that something was coming because he works in finance and he has the ability to see the future. Also, with the energy weapon, is that just, they're saying Havana Syndrome's real, basically. They later say it, yeah. They later say it. I hope we're playing that clip, right? We're playing the fucking clip. Of course we are. Literally make Havana Syndrome a real thing, which is that, that makes sense if it's a movie produced by Obama. Uh, Michelle, have you heard of uh, Havana Syndrome? That's what happened to me last night, by the way. Uh, I wasn't having any trouble down there. It, uh, I'm pretty sure I was being hit by a direct energy beam. So so Ethan Hawke finally returns to the Airbnb empty-handed and totally disoriented. Uh, he shows the rest of the group one of the pamphlets he pulled from the hood of his car. Where, where, where have you been? What were you doing? I was going crazy. I, I, I don't know. I, 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 I just started to drive, and then I heard that noise, and, and I... I came right back. So you didn't see anyone that might help us figure out what's happening here? No, I did not see anyone. But I did, I did see something. I, I saw, um, I, uh, it was this huge um, drone, you know, up flying in the middle of nowhere, dropping off thousands of these. I, I have no idea what it says. Death to America. What? Death to America. I mean, I don't know what the rest of this means, but but this part it definitely means death to America. I remember from a game I was playing. Yeah, this is this is incredible. You know, in the damn video games, uh, they're they're teaching the kids to to hate America. <laughs> I know, and it's like, uh, on the one hand, I have bragged before that playing DayZ allowed me to uh, read Cyrillic, but that's like, 
kind of an easier language to learn because some of the letters kind of have similar, they look similar and they have similar sounds. It's just, you know, there's, there's some different, there's some different sounds like a P is actually an R sound. It wasn't your years of indoctrination with the FSB? But I was like, I was like, oh, what? how does he know? Like recognizing like, Farsi? Yeah, just, like recognizing yeah, no, Farsi it. like by playing Call of Duty and seeing like a flag on like, you know, some pickup truck with a yes. machine gunist on the back that he's mows down. Well, what's funny is that they're, they're without meaning to touching on something very funny, which is that America puts fucking propaganda in its video games. Yes. Now, as soon as Islamic terrorists are part of the mix, Julia Roberts and her family are out of there. They pack up their car and head to the freeway. Now, this perhaps leads to what I would say is the best scene in the movie, where the couple is forced to dodge a horde of self-driving Teslas. It's genuinely a good scene. I thought it's funny. It's scary. It's well shot. Uh, it shows the promise of what this movie could have potentially been. But also it has like kind of a Prometheus moment where she doesn't like pull to the side of the road. She just keeps going on the road, like running against the Teslas, yes. even though they're automatically driving towards her well yeah it's a great one two three right the first the first move is she pulls forward to dodge one tesla yeah. she backs up then to dodge the second one and then you get this kind of continuous tracking shot uh you know pov out the windshield of their car as they're now driving down the the freeway dodging them as they're coming at them i i i, I really genuinely thought it, it was well set up but you can see like the side of the road has a little thing you can pull off into <laughs> Like, just pull off into yep. the side. It shows yep. it. There's an aerial shot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The family ends up right back at the Airbnb where they are accepted back in unconditionally. Now, I thought that there was a missed opportunity here to move the white family into the basement because there is a line I liked from Ruth, Marshala Ali's daughter, later on in the film where she asks her dad, you know, why they have to sleep in the basement of their own house. And I think character-wise, Julia Roberts might have been more interesting if she started off doing her very best to hide her racism uh, as it's written in the book and that as the situation grows more tense, she allows her true feelings to bubble to the surface. But anyways, I digress. That night, Roberts apologizes to Ali for being so fucking racist and admits that she's actually starting to like him. With the tension between them starting to relax, G.H. tells her about a warning he received from one of his clients who is part of the quote, evil cabal. One of my clients invited me and my wife to a private event. My client, he, um, Barack Obama. Well, <laughs> I won't say his name, but you'd recognize it though. Is he a celebrity? Oh, no, nothing like that. But in the business world, he's one of the biggest out there. He deals mostly in defense contracting. I'm talking hush-hush, top-secret money from the Pentagon. Perhaps the most powerful person I've ever had a meal with. Anyway, we're at this soiree at his house. It's getting late. My wife, she wants to go. But he and I are just having a blast. And he doesn't want the night to end. After a few more glares, my wife agrees to take a cab and I'll come home after. Mm, I bet she was real happy about that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we're having a few more drinks, getting really sauced. And at one point, I don't think he could stand and I was pretty wobbly myself. I wouldn't know anything about that, sir. <laughs> so he takes me to his study, smoke a few cigars, and we're sort of flying high, laughing at almost everything. Eventually he starts in how much he likes me and how he wishes he could invite me on this trip he's about to go on. What, what, what kind of trip? Where's he going? That's exactly what I asked. And he turns to me, a serious face, and he says, oh, you know, just my annual meeting with the rest of the evil cabal that runs the world. 
<laughs> he was the kind of guy that was always known for jokes like that. Again, if I told you his name, you'd understand. Well, I just have to take your word for it. And now, if you'll excuse me, I'm gonna pop off my mic. Then, yesterday before the symphony, my friend calls me up. No scheduled appointment like he usually does, just calls me out of the blue. And wants me to move around some of his money. And we're talking some big numbers, even for him. And as we're getting off the phone, I asked if he wanted to grab a drink. He tells me he's going away for a while. I joke back to him. Well, yeah, you hanging with your evil cabal this weekend? Thought that was only during the winter solstice. <laughs> but he doesn't laugh. And he always laughs, even with bad jokes. And all he said was, take care of yourself. Almost as if he felt sorry for me. Ever since I haven't been able to get it out of my head. What are we doing? Yeah, it's, it's, there's just... <sighs> what are we doing here, really? What is the coherent... I guess the point is that it's not coherent and the things are just, like, super complicated, man. But, like, what's the... Who is actually attacking America here? And why does... Why do all the rich Americans know about it? You think that they wouldn't want a civil war? It's bad for business when your entire country explodes. And framing a defense contractor who does a secret deals with the Pentagon as if he's this shady bad guy, as if, as if Barack Obama didn't explicitly work, with, you know, with these people. It's like, I, I don't who is this for <laughs> well I think that, I think there I think there's two things going on here it's like number one I think there's supposed to be a parallel between like the super upper class connected people abandoning everyone else and like Ethan Hawke abandoning that woman on the side of the road <laughs> his idea is like well everyone's just gonna when, th when things get really hairy in this hyper individualistic society everyone's just gonna abandon everyone lower than them yeah the class system will break down which yeah. also is like a, a pop Apocalypse cliche. Like, it's not yeah. like, wow, mm -hmm. that really makes you think. I've never seen a movie say I that. I know, it's, about... it's, it's not very insightful. I'm not, like, this This analysis isn't very deep because no. it, is, it feels like, it, I feel like it, it, they're trying to, okay, we got to make this really clear for the people who are maybe, you know, that, that perceptive. It feels like they're really trying to hammer this idea of like how people, you know, how confusing things will be and how people will be abandoned. Also, I don't know if we, if there's a clip of it later, but at the end of the monologue, he mentions like, well, there isn't an evil cabal. Like, no one's in charge. Every, or yeah. Maybe that happens later. Yeah, he says, he says, the scariest thing about it is that nobody's in charge. We're completely rudderless. Which has, like, Obama's, like you know, fingerprints all over it insofar as it's like, you know, look, I... Like, hey, I'm I, not responsible. I'm gonna be clear. Uh, <laughs> it's not my fault that the Palestinians are left behind. I had no control. Nobody's yeah. in charge. World's totally chaotic. Which is like as kind of stupid or meaningless as the cabal analysis. Like clearly people have agency yeah. and have very significant effect on world events. Like this person mm -hmm. made this decision in this powerful, you know, like it's just completely re removing the agency from someone who's like had a substantially noticeably like concretely negative effect on global events for eight years and could have changed that in some way being like look the machinations of imperialism like i was i was there but like this is gonna happen no matter what yeah i may, I may have given you the impression that i've got this but i didn't have this i, I, I <laughs> this is, shit this shit's crazy this shit is wild <laughs> 
So then, after this stunning revelation, G.H. brings Amanda into his record room to show off his collection. Mm. I believe the scene is meant to symbolize the importance of physical media. He's going <laughs> to put on a jazz record, but Amanda wants to have a two-person dance party. She pulls out a hip-hop record and uh. then begins to dance exactly like a 50-year-old white woman might. <laughs> it won't do anything for our precious listeners, who we clearly hate by including this, but I'm just going to play a short clip for the host so you remember how bizarre this moment is. Wow, this is an impressive collection. You like jazz? You want to listen to jazz? Sure, why not? Because uh, I thought we were going to have some fun. Listen <laughs> no, to something we could dance to. You can dance to jazz. In fact, when I bought my first record, oh, I was... please, not another one of your stories. They end up leaving me severely disturbed. Wait, what are these records? Don't look over there. Those are my daughter's records. She had a DJ phase in college. Now this looks like something a lady can properly dance to. Oh, come on. That's not what I brought you in here for. You said you wanted to win me over. This is how. I wonder if she could tell I'm hard right now. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> come on. Dance with me. Yeah. <laughs> uh oh. Didn't tell us correct. To pass on this. <laughs> <laughs> like genuine. Yeah. This is, no, this is so humiliating. Yeah. All right. Hold on. Baby, oh. Oh. oh, and he starts doing his little dancing too. Feels so bad. This right. I wrote down. I wrote down watching this that this is Obama's version of what Don Draper does when he's too stressed in Mad Men. <laughs> So uh, this is exactly, by the way, how my 70-year-old aunt danced at my wedding. I'm being totally yeah. serious. These are moves that I recognize. Mm -hmm. The awesome dancing is interrupted by another blast from the direct energy weapon or perhaps a Jewish space laser because in this movie, both of those things could potentially be real. Uh, we cut to the entire yuppie family sleeping together in one bed. The son now has a fever, a direct result of the voice-to-skull ray gun. Uh, he didn't cover his ears as quick as everyone else during the first blast. And the 13-year-old daughter can't sleep because she's thinking about the West Wing. What are you still doing up? I keep thinking about this one West Wing episode. There's this crazy <laughs> person. You watched the West Wing? Only the <laughs> seasons. Oh, I forgot about that last oh, one. Oh my God! Yeah. It's a twelve-year-old. Leave I'm her alone. I'm a thirteen-year-old girl. I love Aaron Sorkin. Oh come on, come on. Yeah, that's just. And they know it's wrong. That's why they have Julia Roberts yeah. be like, "You watch The West Wing," but they know it's wrong. But they can't help themselves. They have to do it. It has to be in the movie, and it also doesn't make sense. No. Like, is the point that she's right? There's also a weird thing in here about, like, nature. Like, there's a shit ton of deer, and she's the yeah. only one who notices them. And they're acting in, like, this weird erratic way. And yeah. It's kind of like a nature is healing sort of thing. Yeah, they're encroaching on the space occupied by human beings because presumably human beings uh, will no longer exist uh, in a matter of, I don't know, months, years, or whatever. There's there's two different interpretations. One is that the, the animals are trying to warn the people, uh, you know, that something bad is happening. 
happening. And then the the other theory is that the deer are uh, reclaiming, you know, reclaiming nature uh, in the, you know, in the lead up to a mass extinction uh, level event. And just acting in ways that like deer don't act. Like I, <laughs> I thought there was going to be like a some sort of like supernatural or like fantastical explanation for that. Like initially when that happened, that massive like herd of deer came up and, and watched the young like daughter but there isn't any no no but have you never it's because you've never experienced hamas deers <laughs> do you condemn the hamas deers julian do you co- do you condemn the hamas bambi I read an interview with a director where he basically says, you know, what I wanted to do with the deer was make things that are normally peaceful and serene feel, you know, scary and, you know, rife with anxiety. That was his explanation. I wanted to make a movie that would normally be good, bad. (laughs) The break into Act 3 and the ultimate climax of the movie begins with the teenage son, Archie, waking up and pulling his teeth out of his head. Uh, It's absolutely insane body horror, and this kid is just pulling his teeth out like it's no big deal. This prompts Ali and Hawk to pay a visit to G.H.'s contractor, the guy who built his house and happens to be extremely pilled, played by Kevin Bacon. They assume that his paranoia may have caused him to stock some life-saving medicines for old Toothless Joe. I gotta be honest with you, I'm surprised you guys are even out. We came out here because my son needs help. Uh, He's vomiting. He's he's lost his teeth. They just fell out. Can't explain it. Huh. His teeth, huh? Well, it's got to have something to do with that noise. You know something about the noise? Well, it's not all that dissimilar to what happened in Cuba. A while back, microwave weapons, they call it, produces a kind of radiation that can be beamed out through sound. Some people lost their teeth there, too. Outside of that, the only thing I know for sure is there's not a lot of information getting out, so I assume it's a war. I, I guess this is supposed to be played as a twist because like initially the kid is like out in the woods and he gets bitten by a tick and the idea yeah. is like, oh, I guess he's got like, you know, rapidly advancing Lyme disease or something was the conclusion. <laughs> but yeah. I guess now the reveal is like, no, it's Havana syndrome and it's radiation poisoning. And you can notice like the dad also his teeth, like his gums start to change color. So like presumably it's happening to all of them. Yeah. At this point, I got the feeling like, like this movie was engineered to make liberals become targeted individuals and you know you feel like every noise around the corner is like some some enemy you know targeting them well looky here looks like all the wokesters teeth are falling out (laughs) it becomes clear that kevin bacon ain't given none of his hard-earned stockpile to these two wealthy liberals in an act of desperation ali draws a pistol and a tense standoff ensues Just when you think things are about to get violent, Ethan Hawke is able to get through to Bacon by explaining what a massive pussy he is. The only way this ends is if you get back in your vehicle and drive away now. Drive away to what? All the roads are blocked. We're in the middle of God knows where. There's no one else around. I have no idea what I am supposed to do right now. I can barely do anything without my cell phone and my GPS. I am a useless man. But my son is sick, and my daughter is missing, and I don't know what to do. But you are a very prepared man. Fuck yeah, I am. That's right, that's why we came to you, because you're the only one who can help my son. Not my problem. No, you're right, it's not, but it's like you said, right? What would you do if it was your family? That's what I'm doing. It's the only thing I can do. 
I am begging you. Please, please help my son. This is basically every far-right conservative's fantasy scenario. Libs coming to you, <laughs> hat in hand, admitting they are worthless cucks and you were right all along. Begging you to take them under your wing. I don't think it's been done in any other movie, including right-wing ones, as well as this. Once again, I must ask, why is a former sitting president endorsing this content? Mm-hmm. You know, I talked about this in the in the group chat, but like if this was produced by the Bush family instead of the Obamas, they would say that it's like Red Dawn or something, some sort of like far right fantasy of like, you know, the paranoid right wingers were correct all the time and all the stupid head in the clouds libs who did not really understand where we're going on. Those were the ones who are going to be left behind because they're so stupid and arrogant. I would like to offer an alternate explanation, which is that this actually reveals the reality, which is that when the shit hits the fan, liberals would rather turn to fascism than, you know, <laughs> than become further left. They mm. will immediately be like, you know who was right? Fucking Jed, the, my neighbor, who, who told me that it was a dog-eat-dog world. Uh, uh, let me be clear. Uh, you will fall to your knees and offer yourself to the deplorables. They are uh, the only ones who can help your son. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Bacon's character relents and doles out some medicine for the poor boy. He also tells the pair that it's the Koreans behind the attack, that his buddy got dropped flyers with Korean written on them. Shocked, G.H. and Clay tell the pilled contractor that they got flyers written in Arabic. Now, this leads G.H. to a shocking revelation. Because my primary client works in the defense sector, I spent a lot of time studying the cost-benefit analysis of military campaigns. There was one program in particular that terrified my client the most. A simple three-stage maneuver that could topple a country's government from within. The first stage was isolation. Disable their communication and transportation. Make the target as deaf, dumb, and paralyzed as possible. And setting them up for the second stage. Synchronized chaos. Terrorize them with covert attacks and misinformation. Overwhelming their defense capabilities, leaving their weapon systems vulnerable to extremists in their own military. Without a clear enemy or motive, people would start turning on each other. Done successfully, the third stage would happen on its own. What's the third stage? A coup d'etat. Civil war. Again, just what happened in Libya, I guess. Presumably. Yeah. Yeah, what America does, drop fucking flyers all over the place using the, the army psyops and what what's amazing here is that I've I don't think I've ever seen a movie that is willing to put a flashback during a dialogue scene to something that happened a minute ago. They are sitting in the driveway where that fucking like gun standoff happens and they flash back to the gun standoff that they were just <laughs> in. It's so fucking awesome. And this is supposed to be like the M night sort of like twist and revelation at the end, but you listen to it and you go yeah that's okay that's yeah you've been basically building up to this we we know we see it's so funny because the music is like bum bum like here's the twist here's the huge revel you know revelation and it's insane because in the scene beforehand kevin bacon says you know i don't know we've got a lot of enemies maybe they teamed up 
And it's like, whose fault is that? Yes, <laughs> whose fault is that? As if, as if you were not a part of that in some way. It's just like... No, it is so fucking awesome. And I think that they really, they think they're super smart by not revealing who is doing the attack on America. But I think it shows both the fact that America needs to have a shadow enemy now. Like there's not really anybody directly fucking yes. attacking America. So it's like, well, who is it? Is it going to be China? Should we start is it a the war Russians? China? Is it the Koreans? All of our enemies. We've got so many. I mean, they all hate our freedom. I mean, they're not like attacking us right now. Now, but we should still be scared, right? I mean, they could want to attack us. I mean, you you'll there's no reason to conclude from what you see in the movie that's even an external enemy. It could be, you know, domestic uh extremist sure. hackers and they're generating, like they mentioned, this this misinformation to make it appear like it's some sort of uh a foreign enemy of America. Yeah, nothing like a former president putting his name on a movie that is designed to make us even more paranoid. It's like when you think about what this movie is about or the sort of lore or the premise is that like a group of foreign supervillains are goading Americans into civil war. And look, rhetoric like this has been totally chill the last seven years and has not destroyed anyone's mind. So <laughs> I think we're still really safe. Yeah, it would suck if, like, I don't know, a, a presidential campaign, like, started a huge red scare to smear the other candidate, and then we had to deal with the fallout of that for years. That's another thing, that. is the contextualization, like, America is so vulnerable to, like, Iran just completely destroying all their satellites. Yeah. Iran, Iran, yeah, who were able to, like, destroy all their satellites and communications and then fly planes through America into their airspace, just dropping pamphlets in random places. I mean insane genuinely just like we're entering like the paranoid fantasy we don't even have the cold war anymore this is i don't know this this is pathetic man this is the dregs the film ends with the young daughter finding the neighbor's fancy doomsday bunker where she discovers that they own friends on dvd nice. credits roll <laughs> That I wrote, I wrote last night. I said, somebody fucking stop me from doing a big shit in the middle of this episode. <laughs> okay, I'll stop you. But Don't th do it. This is also, she's motivated by the quote from West Wing, where it's like, you know, the guy prays for escape from like a tsunami, and then he gets like, you know, a helicopter comes in, and then he dies because he doesn't take it. He's waiting for God. And then he asks like, God, I was praying for you to help me. And he said, I sent like a helicopter and you didn't, which I presumably that that means that she needs to go into random people's houses and look for their doomsday bunkers. She eats a lot of sugar first, which is cool. Is the implication that she's right about that and that they haven't been seeing that they should just start like like Fortnite looting all the houses? Uh, you, you know, uh, Michelle, when the jihadis come, I have a feeling uh, we'll, we'll just be watching Friends. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's kind of like implied it's a relatively like happy ending, at least contextually for this group, because because, you know, it's like it's like all of a sudden they happen to stumble upon an unoccupied, massively, beautifully stocked bunker with not just well, apparently like a year or more worth of food, but like all these amenities, all this entertainment, self-powered is somehow they able to stumble upon this thing that's able to take care of them as whatever the fuck is going on continues to go on. Oh, I can't wait to be in my bunker massaged by every season of everything Joss Whedon has ever made. <laughs> Can you guys imagine what they would be saying on the news and on Blue Sky if Donald and Melania executive produced this movie? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
But they can't and they never will and they never could because liberals gatekeep all of the flashy filmmakers. It and makes them worse apparently because, I mean, I, I'm not, I wasn't a huge like Mr. Robot fan, but like this is certainly a new low. Yeah. It forces poor conservatives to pretend that they're stoked about a movie filmed entirely on green screen about the flag. But liberals, no, they get sleek Mr. Robot style conspiracy theories with big name actors like Julia Roberts. It's unfair. It, it launches on Netflix instead of a broken and rumbling and we watch and we nod our heads and we go mm-hmm i'll definitely be one of the good not racist white people when the shit breaks down i'll offer to sleep in the basement no the logical conclusion is like i'm gonna be kevin bacon right, right. Fuck these yeah. liberals. the conspiracy theorists were right fuck these liberals see i'm mad because i think it's incredibly irresponsible for any kind of state leader former or current to attach themselves which is implicitly endorsing this kind of narrative I don't know. For all I know, maybe it's all a big joke to them, laughing in the editing bay, going, oh, this is going to drive the maggots crazy, lol. But why are we wanting to drive them crazy? They have the guns and the training, as the movie clearly states. The conspiracy theorists are mad, however, because they believe that Obama and the Netflix world order are flaunting their Great Reset plan in plain sight. Because the movie is filled with hidden messages, symbolism, and is, as I have mentioned, produced by a former president, people who both love Obama and despise him are elbow deep into baking this film. The people who like Obama believe he is graciously warning us so that we might be prepared for a nationwide cyber attack, and the people who hate him believe he is conditioning us to accept an inevitable cyber attack, or showcasing his great reset plans out in the open in accordance with satanic etiquette. Yeah, I was on like our conspiracy and they they put a, a shot of the kids up and they're standing next to each other and he's wearing an obey shirt and she's wearing a NASA yes. shirt and they're like, whoa, they want us to obey NASA. Wow, <laughs> yes. that's scary shit. <laughs> the liberals are, are saying, oh, well, she's wearing the NASA shirt. She's into exploring, you know, she's into exploring. We need to go to she, space. And, that, and that ends up saving her because she explores and finds the doomsday bunker where he has the obey shirt. He and, and oh, there's another scene where he's wearing a Rockstar t-shirt, like Rockstar, the game company. And they're like, he's imprisoned by his vices and his video games and he must obey the media it's like there's so many different things to bake in this movie like why bother making like complicated interesting art that has like you know a different interpretations that require some meaningful thought when you can just like make what is basically nothing and and people <laughs> will like interpret it for you they'll, yes, they'll spend yeah. like hours trying to look for any sort of like coherent deeper meaning to this thing that clearly doesn't really have that much to say like it structures itself as this has something to say but like where is the yeah. content here why make a beautiful movie you can do the same instagram post with all the shitty words that jake hates and it can be of a hungry man dinner <laughs> so you don't even have to press play on the film to begin baking as one tiktok user explains that satanic messages are coded into the film's poster people are saying that this movie had a lot of satanic symbolism in it now if you haven't seen this movie already it's called leave the world behind and it's about america's enemies joining together to take down the country they do it in a three-step process Isolation, disable all communication, transportation, leaving people deaf, dumb, and paralyzed. Synchronized chaos, which has terrorized them with covert attacks, disinformation, and no clear enemy. Third, civil war and collapse. Now, from the start of this movie, you see a blatant 666 right in front of your face. And in a promotional poster, people are saying it says, I am Ball. Who is Ball? A demon that Christians believe in. He's basically Satan's head demon. Not to mention this movie was produced by Barack and Michelle Obama. Are people just reaching or is something big coming? 
Wait, so he's saying that if you take away a bunch of words in the name of the movie, it, it, it makes I Am Ball? It's not even words in the name of the movie. It's words in the name of the cast list. <laughs> okay, wow, wow. That's. Oof. I mean, that's why Denzel isn't on it, because then he wouldn't spell I Am Ball. <laughs> yeah, Denzel wouldn't be, he wouldn't be caught dead in a ball-produced movie. In a follow-up video, that same creator breaks down hidden QR codes and sequences of numbers that appear in various parts of the film. So a lot of you saw my last video about the movie Leave the World Behind, and I said it had a lot of demonic symbolism. So we went and found more. Like on the emergency TV broadcast, the map of the United States has a hidden QR code. My phone camera couldn't really read it, though, because it was so blurry. And the screen in the hidden bunker had numbers on the screen that looked like they were spelling DIE666. On the other screen, it reads the numbers 0917 and the time to 04. Could something be going on September 17th, 2024? I mean, as long as you see it and don't say no, to them it's consent and their hands are clean. I mean, just look at all these images before that big event happened many years ago. But then again, I could just be reaching. He's peeling a fucking orange. <laughs> I know, he's just eating an orange in his car. Also, for, for context, on the screen it flashes the thing where like if you fold the American $1 bill, it looks like the Twin yeah. Towers falling or right. whatever. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, viewers with less blurry TV screens were, in fact, able to scan the QR code embedded in the map of the United States. Have y'all seen all the hype going around about this Leave the World Behind movie? It's all over my For You page. Everybody and their mom is talking about it. Because apparently the Obamas were executive producers of this movie. And a lot of people have found really weird Easter eggs, including a QR code that is hidden in the map. This QR code. And if you scan this sneaky little hidden QR code, it will take you to this website, visitmercercounty.com, and it opens up this page about the Lake Shawnee Abandoned Amusement Park. So what in the world could that mean? Well, I don't know, but this sounds like a place right up my alley. So let's head on over to West Virginia and see what we can find out about this Lake on Shawnee Google Maps, Abandoned Amusement of Park. Course. So it turns out that the land where this abandoned amusement park was built has a very long and bloody history. Back in 1775, the Clay family had settled here. One afternoon in August of 1783, Mitchell Clay went hunting, and he had two of his sons, Bartley and Ezekiel, building a fence. And his oldest daughter, Tabitha, was down by the river washing the family clothes with some of the smaller girls. I think there were like 13 kids in this family. Well, as the children were going about their chores, a band of 11 Shawnee men crept up on them. They shot Bartley, killing him. Okay, all right. Uh, I shot, enough of this. All right. They shot Bartley. Oh, no. The Shawnee <laughs> shot Bartley. So one TikTok creator goes as far to suggest that by watching the film, one might be able to counter the predictive programming by knowing the future and focusing to change it, which I imagine is kind of the message the filmmakers are trying to convey. Yeah, because the rich, the rich guy in ar the arms industry knows things are going to happen in the future for some weird reason. And so by you watching this, by you becoming aware of it, you are doing one of the most important, if not the most important thing you can do while you're alive, which is elevate your consciousness. And when you are aware of a negative, you can consciously choose the positive because what you're unaware of will constantly affect you. You are the cause, not the effect. And so if you watch this movie, and if you're someone who hasn't, I know right now your curiosity is sparked and you want to, Go into it and I challenge you to watch it from a place of awareness and not letting the emotion affect you. You can watch it, but you don't have to accept it. Your brain is constantly recording this stuff. So while you watch the movie, imagine every single scene as the opposite. Do not accept fear into your life. Love through fear. <laughs> 
Oh my God. So at my most cynical, you know, I'm like, okay, the filmmakers have created something that everybody can, ba- you know, the, hey, everybody can bake this. The people, the the left and the right, they can, you know, they can, there's, there's, there's something for everybody. You know, it's politically neutral, which, which is just inspiring conspiratorial, uh, you know, thought, <laughs> you know, in, in everyone. It's a big tent movie. If you watch the movie imagining the opposite, then it's a good movie because you're not watching the movie. It's the opposite of a bad movie. Now, while some conspiracy theorists believe that the goal of the movie is to prepare us for an impending civil war, others believe that the message is a lot more simple. Vote Democrat. Okay, I just went down a rabbit hole with this new movie, Leave the World Behind, and I don't think anyone's talking about this, but the color blue is literally in every single scene. I don't know if I'm going to ruin the thing for you. I haven't even finished this, by the way, because I keep falling asleep. The one thing I can see (laughs) and the only thing I can focus on is the blue. The blue is in everything, whether it's their clothes or the wall or the house or the car. In every single scene or a filter with the blue, always blue. Everyone's wearing blue. There's always this blue, this very specific blue. And I was like, why is this, why are they pounding this one color into your head? Where, where are they going with this? Even the color of the book is, uh, is blue. So I'm like, okay, and, and the Obamas had a big hand in this, right? If I, that's about common knowledge, right? So the Obamas, so I research Obama. He's wearing the blue. Dude, I was so like, I oh, damn. How, how deep does this blue rabbit hole go? Oh, my God. Right? Who's blue? Democrats. Was he a Democrat? Oh, look, he was. Democrat. <laughs> Who else was a Democrat? Democrats were blue. Why is he wearing the blue? Let's go a little bit deeper. Blue. <laughs> oh, my God. Wait until this guy looks at the sky. He's going to have a real issue. The sky is making us vote Democrat. What about the ocean? The ocean? Oh, my God. Oh, no. <laughs> we were talking about, like, how ham-handed and obvious and kind of, like, berating the messaging in the movie is in so many instances. But yeah. these people, like, they sell that aside to, like, oh, the colors, the colors. <laughs> what are the colors trying to tell me? Yeah, it's not clear enough. They need to talk yeah. to these people as if they're even dumber. Clearly. <laughs> So as I said previously, you know, this movie has the the ability to appeal to conspiracy theorists on both sides of the political spectrum. And the following video went massively viral with nearly a million likes and over 20,000 comments. And in it, the creator seems grateful that President Obama has gone out of his way to show the world what the real apocalypse will look like so that we might be properly prepared. I told you guys three months ago that Barack Obama was going to put out this movie about the apocalypse and we needed to watch it. Literally, the people who were making this movie for Barack Obama said that all of his notations and the way that he wanted this film to be done scared the shit out of them because it felt so real. And Barack Obama came out himself and said he's adding stuff that he learned while being president to make this a real apocalypse-seeming movie. If you are a conspiracy theorist or one of the woke people, you will know that this movie is a warning. It's not just for shits and giggles. Barack Obama has showed us exactly what the apocalypse looks like. And contrary to belief, it ain't zombies and it ain't meteor showers. This movie literally talks about war. Over the entire movie, the people who sound the craziest end up being right. The people that you see throughout the movie saying, oh, this is war, this is attack from Koreans, this is for outside job, this, this ain't no end of the world, this is someone doing this for war, ended up being right. Obama doesn't care. He's on his ski do in Hawaii. Like he's not yeah, no. doing politics anymore. <laughs> he's he's basically like an advisor. He's like, well, you want to make that uh, more realistic? Uh, I think he'd say this. Like that's pretty much probably it. But 
I, I mean, I agree with her. Like, the message is yeah. fucked. The movie sucks. What the fuck is Obama doing with this kind of shit? Like, could you just make a new Teletubbies or something? <laughs> to make matters worse, there was also a bunch of videos that went viral on TikTok of deer doing what they do in the movie. But it's all CGI. It's almost as if the the movie, like, made an, an accompanying app, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that you would download. And it, like, uses AR to digitally place, uh, you know, scary-looking deer uh, Uh, you know, and whatever you're pointing your phone at. But what about QAnon believers? You know, it seems that they are becoming more and more niche as the general population of Americans uh, are increasingly embracing a conspiratorial mindset. Well, it's basically exactly what you would expect. Uh, Here's Deanna Lorraine on the Stu Peters Network discussing the film. So crazy. I mean, you really can't make this up. But they do make this up. This is straight out of the elite's Marxist globalist playbook. Predictive programming and fear-mongering, they're literally telling us what to expect next uh, under the guise of a Hollywood movie, okay? And it's so funny that they're talking about a cyber attack across the whole country and across the world. Oh my God, the cyber attack is shutting everything down and there's nothing for us to do, nowhere to run. We're going to be left behind, shutting down all the systems. Well, this is eerily familiar to what Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum literally told us about Cyber Polygon. Remember Cyber Polygon, the cyber attack that's going to shut down all the systems in the entire world. It's going to happen pretty soon here. They released videos about it. They've been talking about it at their Davos and their UN summits, the cyber attacks. Klaus Schwab is warning us about it, that there will be hard times ahead. Pay insufficient attention to the frightening scenario of a comprehensive cyber attack which would bring to a complete halt to the power supply, transportation, hospital services, our society as a whole. The COVID-19 crisis would be seen in this respect as a small disturbance in comparison to a major cyber attack. Okay, the real conspiracy is why is he calling it COVID? <laughs> what the fuck? That's an awful video, too, showing like a woman on a respirator, like gasping for air. Yeah, no, it's not him making it. This is a conspiracy theorist playing yes. Klaus yes, Schwab. Of course. Yeah. Or not playing Klaus Schwab, but like putting a Klaus Schwab clip with a bunch of like eerie music and editing. Julian, can we get your review before before you log off? Yeah, well, I have to go and predictively program. Uh, I was uh, pre- I predictively programmed myself a therapy session after this uh, recording, so uh, you're going to need give it. my rating. Uh, Michelle, will you come into the room? Um, okay, <laughs> out of six bits in this, <laughs> I've put all six bits in it, and I want you to put it in my mouth, and I give it six over six bits. But I'm terrible. Only, we can't use that. But I'm it's only going to need one. <laughs> We're going to have to bleep out that whole thing. Or I'm only bleep out need that entire one. section. One. One out of six. <laughs> that's what I give it. Okay. That's me. Bye-bye now. So, you know, what I do see, you know, a lot of the, you know, more right-wing conspiracy theorists talking about is that this is maybe, you know, the best example of predictive programming. And they say this about a lot of stuff. I remember when we were on our way to some sort of Q conference, we were listening to this podcast and they were talking about how the Chris Pratt Amazon movie, The Tomorrow War, was predictive programming uh, about the vaccine. And so this is something that they're on about quite 
often that that movies and television are a way to prime civilians uh, for events that are about to take place. But as uh, you know, as I'm sure Travis will tell you, this this really isn't a thing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Predictive programming is this thing where they say that um, there are stories and media that are designed to soften up the public for things that are about to happen. So it does, so it's not as shocking when it does finally happen. We I, we saw this a lot with um they with the Simpsons, like the Simpsons, for example. Right. They did do a throwaway joke about how Trump is going to be president, and then that actually happened. And it's really I think it's really more the the Simpsons uh just saying the most ludicrous thing that they could imagine in that writer's room. And since we live in a ludicrous world, that just wound up being true. Mm-hmm. The other thing that they say is that the Simpsons episode where they go to New York is full of secret imagery about 9-11 because that that takes place uh the twin towers feature very prominently in that in that episode yeah why would why would a, a thing about new york feature the twin towers unless it was telling you 9-11 was gonna happen yeah i know there's no <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, it's always very, very silly because, like, the, it's just this weird, like, you know, past. They always take take events, like, after the fact and then try and claim that some piece of media predicted it. And, yeah, it's just it's just silly. It's just baking, basically. Well, And this is a particularly bad example because the movie totally tells you, you know, there's no hidden message in the movie, <laughs> yeah. really. I mean, yeah. it tells you exactly what, what it's thinking. I mean, and, and it sort of leaves the baking to kind of people saying, okay, well, this is how it's satanic or, or this is... Is how it's, you know, talking about the Great Reset or that. I mean, they've sort of taken the big conspiracy theory that one would have baked and made it the plot or the premise of the film at large. So, you know, this, I, I, don't, I don't think this is the best example. Also, you know, to add context, the book was written in, in 2020. It was on President Obama's reading list. He was also a huge fan of Mr. Robot. Uh, so <laughs> it makes sense that, uh, you know, he would want to you know, now in his free time, he's got, all, you know, all the money in the world. He can go wherever he wants. He can make Netflix deals if he wants to. You know, he's he's living his best life. It totally makes sense. Everybody wants to get into Hollywood eventually, right? You know, so <laughs> it makes sense that he would want to say, oh, well, I can take my favorite book and, oh, it would be great if the director of the show that I really like, you know, we got together and, hey, maybe I could give him some notes and that would be really fun. That would be a really fun uh, thing to do because making movies is fun. It's it's fun to create fiction and, and make something that, you know, inspires some kind of emotion in people, whether it's fear or joy or happiness, sadness, all of that stuff. So, you know, there's a lot of different moving pieces, mostly to do with people just, you know, wanting to create content. I do think that it is unfortunate, you know, for the very reason that, you know, his production company and his name is attached to this. People are going to read into it more than if the movie had just come out kind of whole cloth and it was just, it was by the, you know, the director and creator of Mr. Robot and here's his kind of idea of what the apocalypse might look like. There there would be, I think, a lot less uh, baking going on. Definitely still some. You know, if they're baking the Tomorrow War, which is about, like, giant bugs uh, that we have to travel through time to fight, you know, they're they're gonna be baking a a pretty realistic seeming uh, pre apocalyptic film, but you know, yeah, I mean, yeah. The real takeaway Occam's Razor is that Obama wants to do like rich person shit, and that he doesn't have that much interesting to say, really. Like, I feel like he wants to make a movie. This movie feels like it's broadcasting. Like, isn't isn't this saying so much? Doesn't have this have so much to say? <laughs> and then it really doesn't. Thanks for listening to another episode of the QAA podcast. Uh, You can subscribe to us on Patreon for $5 a month. We have tons of content right now. There are 
gosh, like four different miniseries. We're doing a, a season two of Trickle Down that Travis is helming. We've got Liv and Julian helming perverts where they are essentially a real life version of the sicko guy uh, standing outside of the window. <laughs> People have gotten mad at it because we're not king shaming enough. People have gotten mad at it because we're king shaming too much. It's great. We've got Brad Abrahams and I just finished our 10 episode run of the Spectral Voyager, which takes a a more neutral and sort of uh, cautiously open approach to you know tales of the unknown, paranormal encounters, that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, there's there's tons of content there, and that's not to mention the 200 plus premium episodes where you'll find more movie nights like this. Um, you know, sometimes things get a little bit sillier uh, over on the premium. We get a little bit more upset. We're, uh, you know, we've unbuttoned the top button. So if if you're curious and, and you want to check it out, please head over to patreon.com slash QAA. Uh, Liv also has uh, uh, her own content. Where can people find that stuff, Liv? Yes, you can subscribe to my newsletter. I write about like politics, current events, liveagar.com, and I occasionally Twitch stream. I'm, I'm currently out on Baldur's Gate 3 run. Hell yeah. Twitch.tv slash liveagar. Will there be a perverts episode about your Baldur's Gate 3 character having sex with animals? Honestly, that's that might be a little bit close to an episode we have an idea for. So <laughs> Okay, all right, all right. So there's a little a little sneak preview for all of you wonderful folks out there. Uh, to those who do subscribe, thank you so much. For everything else, we've got a website. It is qanonanonymous.com. Uh, listener, until next week, uh, may the deep dish bless you. And keep you. It's not a conspiracy. It's fact. And now, today's auto cue. We know these evil people at the top, they love to rub things in our faces, right? Obama is said to be one of the biggest evil people. It may not be the case. If it's not, then why would Obama and Michelle get together and help so much, be so involved with this movie depicting the end of the world? President Obama, um, <laughs> Obviously, outside of being one of the most brilliant minds on the planet, um, he's actually a huge movie lover. And um, and he was a fan of the book, huge fan of the book, it was on his reading list, and he was committed to making this into a great movie. So he was involved ever, from script to, to post, um, and he, he you know, gave notes on the disaster elements, on character, on the theme. Um, it was a wonderful collaboration. This movie, which includes radiation damage through nuclear bombs and EMF, it also includes a little bit of racism against white people. If you're not open to this thing and you're just watching it as a movie and you retain this, you're not gonna wanna help your fellow neighbor when this all goes down, okay? And they also hint to Russia being involved with Korea. We made a lot of enemies around the world. Maybe all this means is a few of them teamed up. Okay, I've got it all for you, I've got it all broken down. But it's just very strange to me that we have a president that would be involved with making such fear porn for everybody. I feel like it's more legitimate than fear porn. I feel like they're actually telling us what they're gonna do. And if you don't know, Obama legalized psychological operations on the United States civilians. He legalized that while he was president. It's kind of strange that now he's involved in what would be a psychological operation in this movie. It's almost like he just wanted to mess with us.